Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is how to discuss privilege with your partner. Let's find out. Hello, hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandel, and you're listening to Kinda Dating. Remember, if you like today's episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating um, wherever you listen to this podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, It really, really helps us a lot. So please give us a five-star rating or review. We'll read it. We'll give you a shout out. We love hearing from you. Um, Also, follow us. We're on social media. Guys, I know how many of you listen to this podcast, okay? I know the numbers. I don't know you by name, but I know your numbers. So if all of you followed us, each and every one of you, we'd have some pretty high numbers. So follow us on social media. We're at Kinda Dating across the board, but especially our Instagram. So follow us there at Kinda Dating. I have Aisha here with us. Hey guys. What up, girl? What's up? I missed you. I feel like, you know, this pandemic has just been a little up and down with our schedules, even though we don't really have anything to do, but we have shit to do. All of a sudden, there's things to do. I know, I know. But Aisha is here and she's also on social media. Aisha, where can they find you? Yes. You guys can find me at Aisha Says Dance across all social media networks. And I am at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel official on Facebook. (laughs) All right. I am so excited about our guest today. Okay. You're just just bear with me because this this fucking list is huge, okay? Because she's a badass. So our guest has a new Amazon comedy special, Gina Brion. The floor is lava. She hosts an awesome podcast. Mess is mess in progress, and uh, we're excited, guys, just to have comedian, actress, writer Gina Brion. What's up? What's up, y'all? Thank you for having me. This is so—it's it, already fun listening to you guys talk. Yay, <laughs> girl! You have like a buttery yeah. voice. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, thank you. <laughs> it's like perfect. I used to perfect. think I sounded so masculine, like when because I have such a like I have like a deeper tone in my voice, and it took me forever to get used to it because all the cute girls or the quote unquote cute feminine girls sounded they had a lighter voice than me, oh. and I hated my voice for the longest time. Um, you know, we all go through our different insecurities. Like as soon as you get over one, you have another one that manifests or whatever. (laughs) So I got over that and uh, started to accept the fact that I'm like, no, you know what? I like my voice. My voice is my voice. Mm -hmm. It's fucking awesome. I don't know whoever the fuck, I was like, I I would want to listen to your voice all day. (laughs) Boy, thank you. I actually always wished I had a bit of a a huskier, like yours isn't even husky at all, but I wish I actually had a little bit of, my mom has a little, she has a a slight rasp in her voice. I'm always like, man, that sounds so cool. That sounds sexy to me. Like a rasp in her voice. I wish I had a little more rasp. Yeah. Aisha also has a really pretty voice. Aisha just talked for a bit. It's a very calming voice. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you. But I actually felt the same. I was like, God, my voice is so deep. People always call me sir on the phone. (laughs) Really? Yeah. It happens a lot. I, your voice morning, doesn't sound that deep. So deep in the morning that I feel like I'm like hello. Right. <laughs> so awful. Morning voice is a thing. Um, Gina, what's your podcast? Because like I want people to hear that in your fucking sexy voice. 
Oh my God. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, it's called mess in progress. And essentially it's about how we're all hot messes. All of us. We're all trying to figure out life. We're all trying to work things out. And it's me and my homegirl, Catherine, who is just an, an amazing human being. And we have a great time talking about so many different topics with all of our wonderful guests. I mean, we discuss everything from um, manifesting what you want in this life <laughs> to different terms for body parts in Spanish. Like we just talk about everything across the spectrum and we have such a great time. So if you get a chance, take a listen. We've had some really amazing, amazing guests on uh, this, our season two, what we're calling our season two. We had, you know, Gloria Calderon. We had um, Tanya Saracho. We've had like some amazing, amazing people. We have more coming up. So give it a listen. Season one is just as fun. Yeah, guys, give it a listen. Give it a five-star rating review. You know the shtick. Thank you. Um, and Gina, you, uh, I saw you, so I've, I've been a fan, but then I saw you at, uh, you opened with, uh, on, with Fluffy's tour, um, and I write on Mr. Iglesias, so I, we got tickets, and I got to see you perform, and at Staples Center, you fucking killed oh, it. What a great show. Wow. show. Staples Center. What was that like? Oh my God. First of all, working with Gabriel in general, I'm sure that you it's just mind-blowing. The The man is just an incredible, incredible human being. He's one of my favorite human beings. And I tell people this because he's the most humble, hardworking individual I've ever met in my life. And when he offered me Staples Center, um, I was floored. I was floored when yeah. he offered me Staples Yeah. Like, to me, I'm still, you know, I started comedy when I was 17. I discovered comedy when I was 14. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm still that 14-year-old kid when it comes to comedy. So, like, I was, I could not, I almost cried. Like I was so like, <gasps> Staples Center, I'm famous. No, <laughs> Staples Center. I'm like, this is it. This is amazing. And so uh, when we got to do the show, I was blown away by the crowd's energy. Wow. Just blown away by the, the reception that they gave us all. Because here's what I love about his fans too. Um, they're open to the people he loves mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, they are. They really do. And that's yeah. so amazing because you don't find that a mm-hmm. lot. And um, I remember getting off stage that night and Gabe was like, how did it feel? And I was like, I couldn't look past the first four rows. Yeah. (laughs) I could only look at those first four rows because if I looked further back, I could feel myself going, this is such an intense moment. I can't concentrate on my job because this is like a life moment that I have to to think about this after, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have a job to do first. And so when I, it really hit me when I stepped off stage where I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. And that was amazing. So that was one of the highlights, man. I miss him and I miss touring. I know, with him. So- I know, I know. He's, he's the, he really is the best. And like that show was fucking crazy. Cause I remember us sitting in the audience and looking up and it's like all the way up to the bleachers. Like it was a sold out show, but like all the way up. You had yeah, every seat filled, you know? It was insane how many people were there. Like, I couldn't, I, if I would have calculated it, I think I would have been nervous. I think because I went up there and just was like, just do your job. Yeah. This, is, this is what you do. Go up there and handle it. And then when you have a chance to step back yeah. and realize the enormity of what you've just done, and enjoy it. Yeah. Because not a lot in this business that you fully get to enjoy. Things are so fleeting and between things being fleeting and people being haters and your own self-doubt, there's not a lot that you get to enjoy. So you have to have those moments where you just sit back and go.
Thank you all for listening to Kinda Dating. If you already subscribed, great. We love you. If you're not, get on it. Go to that podcast app on your phone, computer, whatever, and hit the button now so you can get your fix weekly. Side effects include laughing your ass off, sorting out your shit, and finding true love. Isn't that what we all want? Um, so you killed it. And, uh, and now you're here. So I, yeah, you made it. <laughs> it's true. I've made it, guys. I don't have to work any harder than for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, today, we're talking about something that, you know, you know, I have a feeling we'll find the fun in it. But it's a it's a heavier topic, and it's about how we discuss privilege in especially in 2020, with all um, with it finally sort of coming more to the forefront. Um, how we discuss that with our partners, whether you're in a marriage or in a relationship or it just starting to date somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Gina, we start every podcast asking um, single or in a relationship. I'm very much in a relationship. I'm super married and about to have my first kid. Yeah, like legit in like a week. Like le- legit, like next week, yeah. going to have a kid. When <laughs> like, is- oh, she'll be. <laughs> so, like my water might break sometime during this podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> it is an adventure. Yeah. I don't want it to happen, but it would make an awesome story. <laughs> Man, it'd be great for the podcast. <laughs> but it did happen right now. I'm like, oh, um, no. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So according to the U.S. Census, um, it says 10.2% of married couples are interracial. Um, so that kind of, I was like, wow, that's a high ass number. And I'm glad, uh, I'm sure yeah. there are more couples. I feel like if yeah. not, uh, married, I would say in yeah. a relationship. So, so privilege is sort of a lot of things, right? Like I think we'll end up focusing on one, but, um, there's like gender privilege, um, sex privilege, uh, you know, uh, obviously race, religion, um, lots of other, I feel like types of privilege. Um, probably in this one, we might default and discuss, uh, the racial issue, but Gina, you are married to a white guy for yes, all intents and purposes. Midwestern white guy. Is he Midwestern too? Yes, he is. Cue the dramatic music. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> Midwestern white guy that moved to New York. Oh, nice. So is that where you guys met? You met in New York? No, we met on a cruise ship because ah. we are both entertainers. He is a musician ah. and I was uh, doing some comedy on a cruise ship and that's how we met. Wow. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, <laughs> did you ever have to sort of have a conversation beforehand or is it ever anything you think about when you were dating, like your your cultural background versus this other person's and did that ever like start coming up? Oh yeah, absolutely. We had a lot of conversations even in the beginning of our relationship, just because not only because I'm Puerto Rican and from the South Bronx, but also I come from a very liberal family. He comes from a very conservative family. Uh, He himself is not conservative, but he comes from that family. And when we talked about meeting each other's families, it was like, you know, my family is incredibly liberal. I'm incredibly opinionated. I have a lot of I'm very open to talk about anything fearlessly, which is not what you find with a lot of conservatives. Like I'll talk about everything from sex to religion, just openly, no problem. 
whereas they wouldn't. And, you know, my brother is openly gay and having that conversation with him being like, well, these are the things you need to know about my life. Like my brother is openly gay. He has been since I was 14. He came out to me when I was 14. And if that's going to be a problem for your family, then that's going to be a problem for me. Yeah. Because he's my brother. And he was like, no, that would never be an issue. And it really has not been an issue, whether that's because of they don't want to talk about it or some sort of repression doesn't matter. They've never made it an issue and out of respect, out of respect for me in our relationship, which I appreciate because you can only push someone so much past their comfort zone totally. before you start to become the bully. Right. Yeah. That's actually <laughs> you know, a really, really good point. Yeah. Where it's like, you, I can ask you to understand and be accepting of the things that my family does differently but it's wrong of me to try to forcibly make you not only understand my point, but accept it as your own. Mm-hmm. All we can try to do is understand each other, accept each other's differences, and hopefully grow from there. In my mind, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. That said, nowadays could get a letter written. But <laughs> in my opinion, I think that's the best approach. Yeah. Um, Aish, have you had to have like any kind of conversations with anybody in the past or anybody new like about not just just privilege but like what's happening and and the importance of the of BLM and the, and the movements and just sort of social justice right um as far as relationships goes um i have also dated the rainbow but a lot of that was when i was younger and a little bit not as confident um, in bringing these types of things up. So when things would come up, I would sort of like either let them fly or just sort of gently say, hey, that's not okay, that type of stuff. Um, nowadays, it's a lot more with um, friends sort of trying to help people understand exactly what's going on, um, their own biases and why I have felt certain ways that I felt. So it's definitely, um, it's, it's been better for me now. I feel like I'm able to talk about these things now and be mm-hmm. more with it. And what made the conversation, what made it hard for you originally mm-hmm. to not feel like you, you could exactly say? Right. I would say because a lot of the times I would be one of the only black people like mm-hmm. in my friend groups or who I knew. So I just, a combination of not wanting to be singled out, not wanting to be the one that I had to teach people and then a whole other thing that's like sort of part of, my, part of my personality is just not wanting other people to feel uncomfortable. So I just took the brunt of the uncomfortableness mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that happens a lot. And like, Gina, do you think that there's a reason these kinds of conversations are like sort of just difficult to have? Like not just as a person having them, but for the person who who you have to sort of talk to, like for in your say, in your case, let's say your, your husband, like why are these conversations sort of difficult for relation, like people in relationships to have? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the emotions mm-hmm. of talking about an issue like this. Like I grew up watching this stuff. I grew mm-hmm. up living in this stuff. Whereas my husband did not. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I told him this, when we first got together, I said, you know, I can't expect you to understand a problem that you've never experienced. So it's going to be very difficult for you to understand my passion behind something like this because you didn't live it. Mm-hmm. You didn't see it. You didn't experience it. Mm-hmm. And so when we've had conversations, there's times when I have gotten very emotional. And what happens when you get emotional during a big discussion like this is if you have two sides of an argument, 
And one person is coming from pure emotion because of what they've been through and the trauma they've experienced. And the other person is coming from straight logic and trying to understand this thing from a logical perspective. You will never find common ground Mm -hmm. because emotions versus logic, that's just, that's inevitably going to cause an explosion because your emotions are so much more powerful than your logic as a person. So you will get angry. You will start screaming. You will start to become illogical Mm. because your emotions are so tied to an issue. So in those moments where I've become very emotional, I've had to take a step back and be like, okay, I am now yelling at this person who is just trying to understand an issue that is so complex that, and, and to them, so out of this world, like my husband is the furthest thing from a racist. My husband is the furthest thing from intolerant. But to him, he just, so for him, it's hard to imagine how an individual could think that way. And and to a certain extent, I'm sure we deal with this with a lot of people that you talk to about this that are on the other side of it, where it's like, I just can't imagine people are that awful. And we're like, no, they are. We've seen it. They're terrible because they have their strong feelings too. And so I think that's probably the biggest issue is like, how emotional I can get during these things when I'm explaining things like the fact that a black father has to explain to his children that they will be treated differently. And when I, whenever I say that, I can feel the tears welling up Mm -hmm. because as a human being, if that doesn't affect you, I'm like, what are you a droid? Like, how does that not make you want to ball your eyes out? Yeah. And so I think that's probably the biggest issue I run into myself personally is that I get so emotional about the argument itself. Yeah, and I think like the, the, conversely, I think the person who is hearing it needs to learn almost like their emotional reaction is like defensiveness a little bit because mm-hmm. it feels like it's an attack on their character. Right. And it's like always like kind of used, like what you said, that that balance of like explaining, but not feeling like you are now becoming the bully where they feel mm-hmm. like, holy shit, I didn't fucking do anything. I'm not a bad person. And what you said, like there are so many people and I think this is the majority of people. I don't, I think there are just a bunch of white people who are like, I didn't know that anybody could act like that. Cause like, I don't act like that. So I didn't think that. And then you're like, right, right, right. Except they do. (laughs) People do. And so you're like, they will try to find ways to explain away the behavior, mm-hmm. which is why when somebody right. says to you, oh, when you bring up a video and you're like, look at this awful video of this thing that happened and you'll be talking to a white person and they'll be like, well, but what about what happened leading up to that moment? And to us, we're like, why are you trying to excuse what just happened? Right. Yeah. Why are you trying to explain it away? Totally. And to them... They're just looking for some logic that doesn't exist in an illogical situation. They're like, well, there has to be a reason. People just don't act like that. And we're like, no, 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 they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what they're not getting is that they do just act like that. And when you try to explain it away, it's very disrespectful to try to explain away the pain of other people mm-hmm. because you cannot imagine that situation being real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people definitely lack empathy um, and that skill of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. So even if you haven't experienced it, like I'm Indian, I'm not black, but I can still put myself in that shoe and be like, holy shit, I I could only imagine. And so even then I could never, you know, 
fully grasp it, but I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. I would hate if anybody did this small thing version right. to me. Now, yeah. you know, even the micro that. stuff that you've experienced on a level of like, like I'm, I'm Latina, but I'm light skinned. Mm-hmm. Right. So my battle was different mm-hmm. and my son's battle will be different. Mm-hmm. And so even from that perspective of like, I can't even fully understand, but I can feel that passion of not being like a voice not being heard for years. We're talking hundreds of years of voices not being heard. And when you have that as an issue and you see other people not getting it, mm-hmm. yeah. it frustrates you because it's like, how do you not get the upset behind this? Right. You know? And it's not, it's not that it's um, wrong to want facts behind a situation because I feel like people always, um, they act like they're martyrs when they're like, you know, well, I can't ask for facts. I can't. No, it's not about that. It's not about you asking for facts. It's not about your search for facts. It's the purpose of your search. Mm -hmm. The purpose of your search is to dismiss the situation. And that's the issue. Mm -hmm. You're not looking for facts just to look for facts and get the full story. You're looking for facts in hopes that you will dismiss the situation as something other than racism, systematic racism, sexism, whatever topic it is, you're just looking to dismiss it. And that's why you're looking for facts. And that's the issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a really, really good point. Um, you know, have you ever, because you are with uh, somebody who is, I mean, he's white. So if we're talking about the food chain, it's like he's at the top of the food chain. Um, no, have you ever, right? Have you ever sort of considered or, or, or had to consider your own bias around the situation. And, and I can speak for myself either before or after, um, you know, Aish, same thing. Like, have you ever sort of felt like any time in your life that you might've been more attracted to one race, for example, let's, let's just say white people, like, because like how we internalize the aggressor, like that idea of like, well, they're the Holy grail. Like I know for, for, for example, I'll say for Indian guys, right. For Indian guys, the Holy grail is the white girl because Mm. they've been Mm. neglected. Like they've never gotten attention from, from them. Like Indian guys get made fun of all the time. Indian women are looked at as like, oh, so beautiful, you know, but Indian guys aren't really looked at like that. And so then when an Indian guy gets like a white girl, he's like, (laughs) fucking made it, you know? And I don't judge him for it. I'm like, hey man, like we all, like we're attracted to whoever we're attracted to. So I understand. But have you also like thought about your bias, your privilege? I have mine as an a light-skinned Indian girl whose name is Natasha that can pass for multiple different things and and has grown up here so hasn't necessarily faced, you know, uh, even, even just by name, my name, like I'm so aware that as a kid, like my name was Natasha Chandel, like Chandel is how you would say it. But mm-hmm. if somebody just looked at it, they probably thought on the phone they were talking to a white girl or they saw a resume and they thought it was, pro- just didn't think it was yeah. what they might have assumed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've mostly dated, I would say, within the the brown black spectrum. But it, lately in, in like LA, it's been a little bit more white. And I've I've had to ask myself that question of when, when 
I've gotten the the phrase more than once um, that you're my you're you know you're the first Indian girl. Mm-hmm. You're my first Indian. You're my first Indian girl. I've got it all the time. And on one end, I'm like, oh, poor you. That sucks. You are not my first anything. But um, but on the other end, I'm like, oh, I wonder why me. I wonder why me versus another Indian girl that's more beautiful or smarter or whatever. Like, was it, is it because in, there's some bias to my skin, my name, I don't know. You know, like, I, do you guys ever ask yourself those? I've asked myself that question before and I've gotten that question before. Do I prefer white male like partners? And I'm like, I don't even always prefer male partners. <laughs> I've, like, I've been with one woman. It was amazing. It was an incredible experience. I'll never forget, which has taught me all about the fluidity of sexuality, which yes. is why I'm fully behind that. But do, I mean, I lean more towards guys, but I never thought for a long time, I never thought I would date a white guy because of my body, just based on my body type. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up with a sister who was like, uh, she's a stick figure and she dated a lot of white guys. And I thought, oh, that must be the body type that they prefer because all the guys that were interested in me were all black and Latino mm-hmm. because I was curvy. And I always got that from them, that they loved the fact that I was curvy. And so when I dated my first white guy, I think I was just shocked that he even wanted to go out with me. <laughs> I was like, are you sure? Like, I'm not your normal style. And so it just became a thing where it wasn't a preference. I prefer people who like me. Yeah. As long as you like me and I can tolerate you and we can hang out and have a good time, yeah. then it really doesn't matter. As long as you have a dope personality and the attraction is there for one reason or the next, because I don't always start off being attracted to people. Sometimes I'll meet them and their personality makes them that more attractive to me. And so that's the selling point is, man, this dude's personality is sexy. Like he just, somebody who's confident, somebody who is aware, somebody who's open, Mm -hmm. those people I'm attracted to. But there was a time when I did question, you know, why a white guy would even be interested Mm. in a mouthy Puerto Rican from the Bronx. I'm like, I am, yeah. I am mouthy. I am opinionated. I am stank. Like, you sure you want all of this? Like, you get all of this. You don't just get the good. And we're going to have our disputes and we're going to have our back and forth. And like, when I met my husband, um, he was good with everything. Like, he's just, I, I loved how he, and I still do love how he is as a person. He's like the sweetest, most blank canvas of a human being when it comes to meeting a new person. And I, it's just, it's a rare quality that you find in somebody where they're just, they're open and they want to ask questions. They're inquisitive about cultures, about issues, about things like that. And it was something that really warmed my heart. So yeah, I mean, not specifically white dudes, just people that are just kind of awesome human beings. Like I think we all strive for awesome yeah, human beings. Yeah, totally. A couple bumps in the road. But <laughs> you know, awesome human beings are what you should strive for, I think. Definitely. I mean, I, I say equal opportunity dater. That's probably how I define myself. I like but, but it, you know, again, coming back to this thing, like even within the Indian culture, there is a hierarchy for, let's say, people's education and their skin color, for sure. Mm-hmm. So like when yeah. I was younger, 
you know, my two boyfriends of very like four years, two and a half years were darker, I guess. Like I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even like, I just loved them as people. So it was never in my head, but my parents didn't like, like them, you know, and didn't like one of them for sure. But also because it's like, ugh, you know, back then, now they don't give a shit. Now they're like, hey, are you with anybody? Is he breathing? Is he? Um, but like, you know, they had, they had their learning curve and, and, and then I realized like, oh my God, like there, there are different levels of where even within a culture where people Mm -hmm. sit and stand and, um, it's silly, but like, Aish, what, what do you think? Yeah. It's really funny that you bring that up because, um, not so much now, but back when I was in the nineties, early aughts, there's definitely a preference for, in the Black community specifically, for um, girls who wear lighter skin, um, you know, light skin, colored eyes, long hair. So mm-hmm. for a long time, and I'm like a darker skinned woman. So for a long time, that was something that I was battling up against um, within my own community. And then also uh, just based on, you know, movies and TVs and the content that we consume, a lot of the heroes, a lot of the leading men were white men. So starting mm-hmm. out, it, I wasn't like consciously doing it, but I was just like attracted to white dudes for that uh, reason for a long time. Um, all this has since evolved, you know, again, totally into the personalities and vibes um, mm-hmm. <laughs> nowadays, which is so much better. But definitely growing up, it was a struggle, um, you know, dealing with all that on all sides, like um, too black for the white people and not black enough, but not the right black for the mm-hmm. black people. So I don't know. It was you hit the nail right on the know? head. That is yeah, exactly what it was like growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a whole. It's so funny. I was just talking about this with uh, friends of mine. The last special I did for Amazon, I have a whole bit on how I hated my skin tone growing up because I wanted to be dark like my mom. Right. And I was never dark like my mom. I thought darker skin was so much more beautiful than my light skin. And the problem that it caused was the same thing you were talking about. When I would be with my people, I wasn't Latino enough for the Latinos. And I sure as hell wasn't white enough for the white people. So I felt so out of place. And I posted a clip of this. This is how ridiculous the world is getting, though. I posted a clip of that, that clip talking about that on TikTok. And the debate on my TikTok became whether or not I was light-skinned enough to have that as a problem. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And that's what the issue became then, is like people debating my skin tone and my narrative mm-hmm. in that way, like, oh, oh, she thinks she had it tough, or oh, she, I thought she was light-skinned black. Somebody actually said that. Somebody said, I thought she was light-skinned black. And I was like, well, first of all, thank you. Right. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much for that, because that's amazing. But uh, no, that's not my issue. I was always right in the middle, and people didn't realize. I didn't realize how many people had that same issue. And so I talked to my best friend, who's dark-skinned. He's black. He's very dark-skinned. And he said he grew up hating his skin tone, because in the black community, it was sold to him that the lighter the skin, the more pretty you were, the more attractive you were. And I was like, I could not be more baffled <laughs> by that thought because I grew up with the most beautiful, surrounded by the most beautiful black men and women and just in awe of that beauty in all shades. I never differentiated the shades. Like I was never like, oh, she's too light skinned to be pretty or she's totally. too dark skinned to be pretty. I never did that. So it was, that was one of those things like when we say that white people look to like explain away something, that was one of those things where I was like, 
why is this an issue? Why is this an issue? They're all, everybody's beautiful. I was baffled by that. I, I'm kind of, I'm like fucking in shock of your your uh, the TikTok debate and it's 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 one of my biggest fears because like sometimes I do want to say how how I truly feel sometimes is like while again in the Indian community nobody would question I'm Indian they would be like yep she's Indian like she her name is Natasha very common Indian name like they, nobody would question it. But, and even in Canada, because there's such a big Indian community, nobody's ever questioned it. But coming to America, um, people started saying really weird things to me. Like, you know, I mean, as an actor, I've always gotten Latina, always. And there came a point where, you know, I think it's one of your friend's shows, the show Vida. Yeah, Vida. So I auditioned for one of the, the the sisters, the main sisters, and I said no. I was like, I don't want to, guys. This is not the right time for this. I was like, there are so many beautiful, talented Latina actresses. It would be so fucked up for me to do. They were like, just just do it so they see you. And I was Thanks like, okay, but I will never take it. Like, I was like, it, I literally in my head was like, this is a waste of my time because I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. And, but it was always this thing of like, in America, they don't believe I'm Indian. So they're like, oh, your name, the way you look, the, even I've even gotten from an ex, like, oh, you're, you're not really an Indian girl. You're like a white girl. I'm like, what? I'm like the most. That infuriates me. Yeah. When people say that ignorant shit to somebody, because I've had people tell me, oh, you're not really that Latina. Yeah. And I'm like, According to whom? What do you yes. define as Latina? What makes me Latina? Do I not wear enough flags for you? Do I need an accent? Yep. Should I be wearing hoop earrings? Right. What are you telling me that I'm not Latina enough yep. for? Like your definition of it, it's the most ignorant, yep. ignorant thing to say. And I've had some of the closest people to me yeah. say that yeah. or say something, some variation mm-hmm. Of, of that. I had somebody then, I dated say that. That was somebody. And it was well, later in our relationship. And I had to stop him. I was like, well, well, please don't say that. And I was like, you saying I'm white is actually more offensive to me. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm not trying to be you. I'm a very proud Indian. And I was like, I don't know what you think it means in terms of like, do I need to wear something on my sleeve? Like, do I need to wear a bindi? Do I need to say my name is Natasha? Like talking right. an Indian accent? I don't know. But there are a lot of us who've like grown up here. There's a billion of us. And like, we're all different shades. We all have different accents. We all, like I've grown up here. All my friends sound like me. You know, we're not, but I'm like, my dad's a fucking astrologer, like an Indian astrologer. I've grown up. I probably know more about Indian culture than most people do. But I don't know what that means. Like I have to fucking be something. And, And so, but I've always like, worried about saying that because of your debate of like somebody will go, oh, well, she's, she's still a light-skinned well, Indian and she can't. And I'm like, eh, you don't know how much it pains me to, for people to think I'm not, because then I think so, yeah. I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I don't not, I thought I don't realize my privilege. Trust me, mm-hmm. I do realize yes. that being light-skinned and Latina over an Afro-Latina woman I have privilege in my community. I am painfully aware of that. And like you were saying, it makes it hard to discuss the issues I'm most passionate about because if I were to speak out of turn, somebody would immediately 
call me out mm-hmm. on the fact that I'm light skinned and I don't actually experience these problems. Yep. And I couldn't debate that. I couldn't debate that and be like, no, you're wrong. I've experienced, I've experienced my level of issues mm-hmm. and my level mm-hmm. of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, but never to the extent I could never feel what an Afro Latina feels or what a black woman mm-hmm. feels. I could never feel that because I haven't experienced that kind of racism. All I can do is empathize to a certain extent and help in the fight as much as I can. But you're right. It, it is a deterrent to a certain extent to even speak up because people look at you like you have no right to speak up, yeah. even amongst your own people, in your own community. Right. Yeah. And that's so sad because it's like we need all the voices we can. So please don't, yeah. don't rain on me because totally. I'm trying to be the best ally or best help in my own community that I can be. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, you know, we're, do you think, what do you, you know, I want to know what both you guys think of course is like, what do you guys think about like when, as you're dating, as you're in a relationship, you're married, is it important to in general and maybe for each of you? Cause I think it's a different, I think it's a different answer. Um, to be with somebody that has sort of the same mindset around privilege, for example, and, you know, again, privilege across the spectrum, um, or is it okay to sort of be with people at different levels and, and, or is there a range of levels? Like, and I'll say, you know, for me, there used to be a time I was much more open. Aisha knows this. Um, you know, a couple of my exes have been conservative. This is pre-Trump days. And, um, and, and I was okay with it because I'm, I'm a very open person. I'm super liberal, but I was like, okay, like, are, are you, do you not like people of color? Are you, do you not like gay people? Like then there are some deal breakers, but if you're just like fiscally, I was like, all right. But there's still like a, an, a lack of certain understanding. And then I felt kind of like how Aisha said earlier, like I felt like I always had to be the one to explain shit. And now I'm just tired of it. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, I don't think I want that anymore. And I'm not saying they have to be, you know, the same race as me or something, but like they have to, they have to at least acknowledge and understand, like not be so far off from me. Like I don't, I don't need to teach you a fucking everything is what my point like, I'm okay to teach you a little bit. Um, like I'm dating somebody right now and he's from, you know, the other conquerors. There's, you know, Spanish. <laughs> oh, you crazy Spaniard. <laughs> so like there are things like he gets, but then there are some things culturally he doesn't get. And so those things though, he's never bigoted about. He's just like, oh, I don't know the re- the relevance. And then I have, then I explain the relevance and that's okay. Yeah. But Overall, he still understands like, you know, the concept of privilege and he's like, yep, totally fucking privileged. I'm like, great. But what do you guys think? Like, especially now, like, should you be like, should you just find somebody who's like more in line with your shit or? I think in general, finding somebody who's more in line with the shit you believe is probably a good idea. They don't have to agree with you on every point, but. I think if there are major issues that you guys differ on, you're, you're really kind of screwing the relationship from jump. Like if, 
if you have major issues you can't get on the same page about, then, I mean, how can you exist in the same, like, let's say the progression of a relationship, you're dating somebody, you're going to move in, yada, yada, however you see the rest of your relationship going, whether it's marriage and kids or just living with each other forever. How do you expect to share a space with somebody and share a life with somebody if on the big major points you cannot agree and get along? That to me is just a recipe for disaster. So I think it is important to look at what your core beliefs are and what your partner's core beliefs are and maybe not match up on all of them because that's almost an impossibility. It's rare that you're going to find somebody. Plus you don't want to date somebody who's exactly like you. Right. That's a snooze. You know, you want somebody that's at least somewhat different from you, but not on the major topics. Like if I have to constantly explain privilege or, somebody who's overly woke to right, the right, point right. of a movie. Yeah. Where it's like, where all right, like, I get I have, I have a girlfriend who does that. She, she, she says every, like one of those, I don't, I don't even know them. Like, like every textbook definition yeah. of intersectionalism. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not following this conversation anymore. What are we talking yeah. about? I'm going to Google everything you say. I can't keep up with you right yeah. now. Yeah, that gets annoying too. So I think finding a, a good balance and that takes time. That takes, I'm glad that I had two years of good and bad and terrible decision-making. My two years of singlehood before I met my husband were full of disastrous self-hating mistakes. Mm-hmm. I was off of an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I hated myself. And so I made some atrocious choices, but I also grew a lot during that time period. And, you know, I made my mistakes. I hurt people. I hurt myself and felt what it was like to be on both sides of the coin, not just the damaged, but now the damager. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, a big lesson that I learned that I hated and worked out through therapy. Mm -hmm. But you get past that and you start to learn where you need to connect with people on issues. Like I knew whoever I was going to be with in the long haul had to have Um, had to have a very strong family unit because Mm -hmm. I come from a very strong family unit. And if they came from a broken family unit, I don't know that I could play Captain Savaho and (laughs) try to heal you and your family and bring you together. But I also knew that I wasn't going to find somebody that was going to have my exact personality type because I'd probably want to punch that person (laughs) because I don't even like spending time with me half the time. So... I get frustrated at myself. So I think it's important to know what the major issues are. And the only way to really know that is to take the time to get to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts. Like, what are my core values? What are the things that are most important to me? And what do I need in a partner in in terms of their core values? What has to be important? What are their deal breakers? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, um, that's an important lesson, I think, for anybody that's in the dating world right now mm-hmm. is just figure out what your deal breakers are and what their deal breakers are and see if they match up. You know, though, I will say guys are really like, Aish, do you, every time we ask a male guest on the show, like, what's your deal breaker? It's like girls will be like, fucking never lie to me. Don't be, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, like we have like deep shit. Guys are like, um, I don't know maybe like don't bang nobody yeah, else. Like, no not even they're like they're like don't smoke i'm like what like that's your that's your biggest problem and that's it that's another topic of privilege because i'm like how fucking lucky 
that that's your biggest problem in the world is like finding a girl who doesn't smoke. Women are going through their list of traumas. Exactly. We're like, (laughs) don't cheat on me. Don't abuse me. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yep. I'm like, come home at night. Make sure you answer your phone. Like, you know, like be present. Treat me well. And they're like, you have a laundry list of stuff. And guys just, they really have, even when I asked my husband what his deal breakers were, he was like, uh, all the time. All the time. Won't disrespect my family. Right. I was like, okay, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know if you dated that did that, yeah. but okay. <laughs> totally. Aish, what is it for you? What that's is true. it for you? Um, for me, uh, yeah, I agree. I feel like there needs to be some level of wokeness on basic human rights and like social justice. Like, it's okay if you don't know maybe the historical context of things, but I think that you still, at the very least, should be like feel feel something about especially what's going on now. So I've actually used, this has been a great time to see, oh, who is actually paying attention? You know, who was posting on social media? Who was asking questions? Who was reaching out? And that kind of stuff, which I think is very helpful. Um, so yeah. And then for me also, I've never been able to date like a Republican. That was just... I know, I know, I know. From I know. Jump, I, was I know, like, I know. I'm, I'm probably so not doing different. it again. <laughs> I can't, yeah. you know? I don't, I don't want to have to teach too much. Um, I'm, you know, there's always going to be things to learn from each other, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, I don't want to have to be history professor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you brought up something good. It's like right now, like, I think I, I, I actually feel bad for certain couples because I'm sure they're out there who, who have started dating and all of this has happened in the middle of their relationship and they never had this conversation before. And now I'm sure there's some people out there learning, wait a minute, this guy or this girl or this person that I'm with thinks this way? Like it's happened with our friends, right? Like we've been on like social media being like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck did you just post? Like, right. what? And I mean, this happened a lot with not none of my personal, like close friends, but a lot of acquaintances yeah. who are, you know, conservative immigrants back home mm-hmm. saying this, 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 this. And then, you know, me trying to sit there and spend some time educating, but I'm like, fuck, or is it just easier to mute you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I could educate you or, or here's an alternative. Right. You could Google some stuff. <laughs> totally. Yep. Because information is readily available on the internet. Right. Yeah. But- That's the most frustrating thing is like, I shouldn't have to explain every little thing to you. If you are aware right. of what's going on, you should be doing research. If you want to be an ally, if you want to be informed, it's important that you do the research yourself. And it's as simple as typing something into the internet and finding out what it means. Like even for a lot of my friends, I posted something on Juneteenth about the meaning behind Juneteenth. And people were like, thank you so much. I had no idea. And I'm like, you could have just Googled it like I did. Uh, like I didn't know either, but I was curious. So I looked it up. Yep. Because there's one thing that you don't want to do is also just when you're asking, you know, your, your people of color, when you're asking them for information, the last thing any of us want to do is speak for the group as a whole. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like, it's one thing we don't like to do is like, oh, I'm going to explain this to you for all Latino people. Right. From my light-skinned Latina privileged <laughs> perspective, this is what life is like. 
We don't want to explain that to you. You have to hear all of the stories. You have to learn all of the stories so that you understand what that community has been through as a whole. Mm -hmm. What are the inner workings? What are the inner issues? On top of the systematic huge issues. Yep. Because it's not just, I think what people, when they ask for information, they want one definitive answer that gives them all the information in the world. And you're like, that's not how this works. Yeah, it's, a it's such a complex issue. I mean, especially privilege. It's so complex. And yeah. I mean, you know, if you want the simple version, it's the white man created everything. And so you guys are at the top of the food chain. And if you don't accept that, then, the, you know, that's like the, like, let's do the cliff the notes. Rule. You literally made all of the rules. Yeah. So, so let's start there. You made all the rules. Who do you think those rules then benefit? Yeah, yep. Because whenever somebody's making rules or laws, they're looking out for number one. Mm-hmm. I'm the person making the rules so that all of these rules will now benefit me. Mm-hmm. That's the simplistic way of explaining it. But also explaining it on even a micro level where it's like explaining to my white friends that will walk down the street openly smoking a joint. Mm. Ah, right. Like, well, yeah, yeah, That's you being privileged. Mm. Because you will never see a person of color doing that. 100%. You don't even realize, because privilege is part of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't even realize how you won't be stopped or harassed. Yep. Right? Even though you're openly smoking a joint. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, if this were a different person, like if this were a person of color walking down the street, immediately somebody's calling the cops or the cops are just approaching them. And like, that's what you have to slowly get people to understand are because people look at privilege and they go, well, I wasn't privileged. I grew up poor. I grew up this. I grew up that. And you go, well, you don't understand this. First of all, you grew up poor and you didn't have to. Problem number one, the world was made for you. So let's, let's start there. The world was made for you to succeed. The fact that you didn't, I'm so sorry. Maybe some people in your family made bad choices, (laughs) but the world was built for you to succeed. That's where you start with that. Because just because you were poor, that is not, that has nothing to do with your privilege. You could be a poor white person, walk into a store and not be harassed at all. Mm-hmm. You could be a rich black man and walk into a store and immediately get looks. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. Like, that's yep. what people don't understand. Like, it's not about your poverty level. Yeah. Right? It's about the fact that nobody would question your ability to afford whatever was in that store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I even think about like even outside of race thing, like even gender, like the, you know, Mm -hmm. the physical advantage, for example, a a man has versus a woman Mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, somebody who is uh, gender fluid or gender neutral. But we face things very differently. Like I am somebody who, you know, guys I've dated have laughed that at night I like as soon as the light, like the sun goes down, my blinds are closed. Like I'm always like anal about that. And they're always like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, cause like, I'm glad you've never had to worry. But as a girl, like I have to worry about is somebody looking in? Are they making sure I'm alone? Is somebody going to target me? You know, if I'm even like with cops, like I've, when I was in New York and I used to live there, I first moved and I was just barely out of college. Um, I was 21, came to New York 
And, you know, all my girlfriends from Toronto were very like, oh, I want to take a picture with the NYPD. And I was like, don't fucking do it. Don't do it. I'm like, you don't get it. Like their egos will go crazy and they'll start hitting on us and they'll start following us. And they're like, what are you crazy? And I was like, ah, just trust me. And then like, once we, we went out, it was like 1230, you know how in New York, you only leave at like 12 o'clock at night for a club. So it was like, we left at like 1230. We're going down Brooklyn Heights, which is like a really rich fucking area. Okay. Uh, I was an intern guys. I wasn't rich. I was just an intern living in a fucking cheesy loser hotel converted into a dorm for interns. So I wasn't, it was dumb, (laughs) but it was in this posh area. And so we're walking down the fucking street. It's a one-way road and a like cops start coming down this one-way road. They slow down next to us and then they start reversing to follow us. And I was like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. Just fucking go straight. Just go straight into the fucking tunnel. Just go. And she was like, what? And I'm like, just go. And, and it's like, even those little things about like physical privilege that people have of, again, coming back to deal breakers, like that guys don't have to worry about certain things. Like when it comes to explaining the privilege behind me too, or like, well, guys get, guys get harassed all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But are you scared that she's going to rape you? Because I'm actually scared that that they're going to escalate the, the, uh, the cat calling or the harassment or the touching or whatever to something where I won't be able to fucking yeah. come home that night. There was, um, I was in LA. I was getting ready to, uh, I was uh, going to be a guest on Chelsea lately. Right. So I had 24 hours in LA. I was going to film and then I was flying back to New York. So I'm in this hotel. I get a hotel just for a couple of hours so I can change, get my clothes ready. I go to the set. We're done filming. I come back to the hotel and I'm all dolled up. Like I'm all dolled up from the show. I have my makeup on, everything. Um, and so I look like I'm, I'm about to go out. So I walk into the hotel and there's these five guys, five of them, mind you, five of them that get into the elevator with me. And my first thought now I started, what was it? I started training in Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, uh, like two or three years before that. I traveled by myself, which I want to get back into Jiu Jitsu because my Jiu Jitsu was trash. But, um, I traveled by myself and I knew situations like this would occur. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the elevator and I'm literally like my thought process. And this is what a lot of men don't understand. This a lot of people just don't get. My thought process was how many of these guys can I realistically take on before I Mm -hmm. get injured, before I get assaulted or something worse happens. Yeah. Because I'm surrounded by five Mm -hmm. men. and It's just me. In all of my five foot one, five foot two statuesqueness, that I'm like, okay, realistically speaking, how big are these guys? Yeah. How much do they weigh? I always keep my right hand free. It's like, it's like my own, like I'm the littlest person, but I'm like, if if anything has a better punch, it's my right hand. So I'm always like, if I'm around somebody, I'll switch my phone to the other side. Like just little things. I, if, when I walk on the street, I purposely walk on the opposite side of the road. So of the cars coming, like, you know, literally the stuff that they, they taught us as a kid, but I was like, yeah, this shit's real. Like, don't. You guys followed me off the elevator. Fuck and started talking to me in Italian, oh, which my Italian sucks. So I was like, I was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. But they started talking to me in Spanish. And I was like, Fuck. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I'm talking to them in Spanish now and they're asking me if I'm alone. They're asking me how long I'm going to be there. 
They're asking all these questions and they're following me. Like these men are following me. I'm walking to my room. So I lie to them. I tell them that my boyfriend is in the room asleep. I'm going to wake him up right now. I get in my room. I pack all of my stuff. I don't stay there but 10 minutes packing and I leave the hotel immediately. Yeah. Wow. Because I'm like, these guys now know my room number. Yep. They know what I look like. I'm not giving them the chance to find me again. Mm-hmm. And you're right. People don't think of like, people would look at that and not even think like, oh, five guys got an elevator with you. So what? Totally. No, this is what I have to think about yeah. as a female. This is what I have to be aware of. That there are five, it's five to one now. Yeah. And I mean, how this situation go bad like this. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, you know, it's one of Aisha and my favorite shows, Pose. And um, and they they discussed that a lot within like the trans community, how like, and that was uh-huh. in the, I think that was in the 80s, but still even now, like the idea of like, well, after sunset, never fucking get out there with a dude because they're gonna, they might beat the shit out of you or, or that again, was, like, yeah. And even now that's a thing. So I mean, there, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there are so many different types of privilege that people don't understand and they don't understand where people's trauma comes from. But it is so important within a relationship to have a discussion about where these things come from. But Gina, you brought up one of the key points that I was going to mention, which is like, so, you know, we are going to obviously leave people with some, some, tips, at least, you know, our experience kind of tips of what, how, how people can have a constructive conversation. But one thing to start, like when I was researching it was that, and we all brought it up in our, in each of us brought it up separately, which is we feel the burden of having to educate somebody else and it should not be our burden. So if, you know, you are choosing to date somebody outside of your realm, whatever, that is, Mm -hmm. it's also your responsibility to get to know that person. So for example, if you're dating somebody like me who is Indian from Canada or whatever, like maybe look something up about Indian culture and stuff and like not, you know, come to me and say, oh, don't you do this? Ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, don't fucking do that. Like, like we we hate that. And no, nobody does that. Um, You know, outside of like, oh, I eat this food. I'm like, cool. (laughs) But like, try to get to know somebody. Like if you're going to date somebody who's black, like I learned a lot about black history because my exes were black. And like, and so I was like, oh, I want to understand what, and one is a professor of African-American studies now, but when he was younger and he was just starting in that and he was so passionate, but truly I didn't get it in the beginning. So I started Googling exactly what you said. I was like, what is he talking about? Like, what does this mean exactly? Cause I'm Canadian and Canadian Black history is very different than American Black history because mm-hmm. we didn't have the same type of like slavery. Yeah. And so I didn't get some of the references or or understand the, the entire depth. And then I got into it and I was like, oh, and this is where I learned about authors. But he didn't have to do that. I was like, it's not your job. You're studying this. This is what you do. I want to be able to have a conversation with you when you bring things up. So I should look it up because I care about this person. So, 
I think that's an important thing for people to take initiative if you like somebody. Yeah. We have to take initiative because we also, we're not encyclopedias. I don't have all the answers, right. bro. <laughs> if you ask me why Puerto Ricans and Dominicans supposedly hate each other, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I heard it growing up, but I don't know. I would have to look it up in order to give you a history lesson myself. Totally. So you're better off researching yourself because maybe you and your partner could both get educated right. on something mm-hmm. that they may not know about their own history. Yeah. But it also shows extra care in a relationship when you take the time to go, I want to know what it was like for you growing up and existing in the world. Right. I want to know what it's like for you right now existing in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had partners say the most ignorant stuff to me about being a woman in comedy. Oh, God, mm. yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and I've looked at them like, okay, I'm going to try to be real patient with you right now. What have they said? I've had somebody look at a lineup of all female comedians oh. and go, I just don't get how that's consistently funny. What? <laughs> and I go, Okay but you've never looked at a male lineup and asked yeah. the same question. Yeah. So, so you're only doing it for the lineup of female comedians. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. But you've never once thought that a lineup of all male comics, one of them could be bad. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I've gotten that as a comedy writer. I've gotten it actually from women also. I got it from six women in the fucking WGA who yeah. said to me, you know, uh, oh, you're, you're a comedy writer? You're too pretty to be a comedy writer. And I was like, what? I was like, fucking female comedians. I'm like, have you looked at like Whitney Cummings? You, I'm like, fucking, they're beautiful, talented. Well, what the fuck does that? And we don't say that to guys. Like we never say no, that. Never, like ma- male. You're way too hot to be funny. Huh? And like a guy. We never say that. Never. We're never like, you're way too hot yeah. to be funny. Right. Or you're way too hot to be the lead in a comedy. Totally. Like nobody ever said that. Never. Yeah. What's that guy though who is really really hot comic the to- Tony to- uh, Tone Tone Bell Tone Bell Oh Tone Bell's gorgeous Tone Bell is gorgeous he's a good friend and he is absolutely gorgeous oh, as a human is being he single <laughs> I don't know but I can find out <laughs> you, you know you do it for um, <laughs> but uh, but I'm saying like for somebody like him they would never they would never ask that they would never say oh you can't do something because you're funny and uh, a, yeah. co- a comedian like you know and a guy like so yeah they would never that's a, that is a frustrating yeah. point like we're just like because you get that all the mm-hmm. time or like you know the the too pretty to be funny thing is- I actually got stopped at right before I was performing at um I'm an I'm more of a new stand-up so but I was performing at comedy store in the like in the belly room for the first time and right before I went on a guy downstairs in the lounge area tried to stop me and tried to get me buy me a drink and I was like no no I'm good and then he was like oh what are you doing here Are you here to see somebody and I was like oh I'm, I'm actually performing and he's like oh like don't take any offense to this but like do you think people would take you seriously because of the way you look and I was like uh I think people would take me as seriously as anybody else at least I would hope but like as like if this was your pickup line didn't work. You failed. You had a chance. Yep. You failed. Definitely blew I, was, that. Uh, I did a corporate gig in um, uh, San Francisco a couple of years ago. And I was the only female in the lineup. The audience was 90% male. Mm. And it was a company out of Australia. 
And I remember the first thing that was said to me was by the guy who booked the show. The first thing he said to me was, yeah, we didn't know uh, really how a female comic would do on this show. And I was like, okay. They were like, yeah, because, you know, it's a, it's a really masculine audience and I just don't know if the humor would translate. And I'm like, cool, yeah, because nobody, mm-hmm. nobody thinks a woman could possibly have anything to say to a room full of men that would translate. Right. And so I'm standing in the back of the showroom and I'm just looking at the stage. I just wanted to see the space. And one of the audience members comes up to me, this guy, and he goes, he's like, hey, um, do you know where the bathrooms are? And I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. work here. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, are you here for the show? And I go, I'm actually one of the performers. And he's like, oh, what do you do? Do you sing? Do you dance? Like, automatically, I couldn't have been a comedian. Yeah. You sing? Do you dance? Do you, like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a comedian. And he goes, oh. And then he just walked away. So wild. Fucking pisses me off. I want to stab people. I don't understand. Well, even even in the podcast space, you know, we're three women of color in the podcast space. A lot Mm -hmm. of people like, you know, kind of dating does pretty well on its own, but it's something that I've always believed it could do even better if it was a potentially different medium because podcasts mm-hmm. are, especially Apple podcasts, for example, are uh, demographically white male skewed, white mm-hmm. affluent males, because that's who owns iPhones. So you're like, they are the large majority. That's why God bless Joe Rogan, but he is Joe Rogan, you know? And you could make, and we could make, as many or as much great content, have amazing guests, whatever, whatever, but it's a male dominated platform. Like mm-hmm. how a, a, somehow a fucking stage is also a male dominated platform and fucking the mm-hmm. streets in life are a male dominated platform. Right. So you're constantly just like trying to be seen and heard in a place that that has been created by them for them, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, this, this conversation of privilege is like deep and, and fucking it cuts you. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but it's like, even hearing these stories, I'm like, Gina, I want to hit those people for you. Oh my God. So bad. Um, <laughs> but like, so how, how have you guys navigated some of these conversations constructively? I try to go in with an understanding for the other person's side and the other person's ignorance. Mm. I try to go in and with as, with as blank of a slate as I can in explaining something. And I try to be gentle. The issue is always going to be my passion and my emotion behind something, but I try to be as gentle as possible because the second you attack somebody, they stop listening. Yeah. Yeah. And so once you go on, the defensive and you start attacking them and going after them. Um, like, um, it just ruins the conversation and I can get defensive real quick. If I feel like somebody is, is ignorant to something that to me is obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's something that for me personally, I'm trying to work on so that I can get the messages I need to get across to people the right way. Uh, and that requires me being a little more mature emotionally when I have these conversations and realizing that not everybody's in the same place as me. So when I'm talking to them, I cannot treat them like they should or like they do think exactly like me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think going into it with that mentality of this is a different person who grew up very different from me, 
who may need these things broken down to them constantly before they fully get it. Yeah. And instead of getting frustrated, it's, I just have to accept the fact that this is a person who's going to need to be constantly educated. Yeah. And if I'm with this person, if I'm dating this person, it is partially my responsibility to talk to my partner about these things and explain as much as my partner wants to know, or more importantly, as much as I can explain before I hit my own level of, I don't know about this and I don't want to sound ignorant. Right. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Aish, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. For me, um, I try to go go as fact-based, as fast-forward as possible, because I agree. As soon as like the emotions hit, I'm like, fucking mess, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I've also found it easier again for me to like write things out and maybe not necessarily talk face to face because mm-hmm. again, that's when things can get a little heated. So it's definitely been easier for me to sort of write things out again so I can like do research, make sure I have all the facts straight and just be able to sort of come at it logically and not emotionally, which is tough. Yeah, I would definitely echo that that like when I've when I've had those conversations um I think the biggest thing is like trying to be respectful about it and so mm-hmm. that means like making sure I'm not attacking their character but I'm right. sticking to hey, here's the like I was actually having a discussion with somebody about blackface and they were asking me like, "Hey, here's this chocolate bar." do you think this is offensive? And I was like, what? Yes, this is, no, no, no. There was, there's an actual chocolate bar that has a, a character that basically emulates blackface. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely offensive. The person didn't understand. And I said, oh, okay, well, here's the reasons why. And then I tried to stick to the history and, and tried not to make it like, are you an idiot? How could you not get that a fucking, like, like we can't rub our fucking skin. I just try not to get angry about it. Um, but I tried to be like, Oh, you know, this is the history and this is some of the pain involved in it. Like for, I mean, at some point I, I pivoted from the black face to brown face. And I was like, at least from my experience, I was like, as an Indian, like we get made fun of for a lot of things. We get curry jokes and, you know, our mom's, got made fun of for bindis that are super cool at Coachella now. And, you know, the clothes that everybody thinks are so pretty. It's like, we got, we got made fun of for that. And in, in even growing up in Canada. So we didn't, we kind of hit all, a lot of that. Now it's like super cool. And, and I'm like, so it's awesome when people celebrate it, but at the same time, like, you know, we can't, we can't rub this off. So like when white people will wear our garb and stuff, it's like, cool, but I hope you're also giving us some credit outside of curry jokes, you know, and, um, and, and treating, treating the community with the same kind of respect. So, and it's the same thing. So I tried to, to give that, but not attack, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like a hard, hard thing to do. Um, I think what you said, Aisha, is completely right. Like coming with facts is really important versus emotions. I don't know about you guys. Do you do this? Like I've been tweeting a lot. So uh, the guy I'm dating, like he knows, like he laughs about it. He, I tweet and then I get like so mad and I'm like cussing people out. Like I'm about to be like, you fucking moron, motherfucking piece of shit. And then I'm like, (laughs) 
<laughs> we delete, delete, delete. Um, well, you know, the actual thing. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, um, sir, actually, I'm like, oh, friend, here's right, what right. Da, 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 da is. But right before that, I just like cussed this person out. 100%. <laughs> you have to get to that place where you can talk to them without the cuss words. Right. I, I mean, I remember even just being frustrated in life at something with my former team of people and telling one of the people on my team that it was a trusted friend or so I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, look, I'm going to write this email and then I'm going to send it to you so you can take all of the fucks out of it. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a lot in there and I'm going to need you to remove them immediately. Totally. And put some grown-up language in there because you get so frustrated. And I know that that's my biggest, one of my biggest issues is I do talk to people like they're stupid. (laughs) But I I only do it if if I know that you are you should know better and you just yeah. don't. Yeah. That's what sets off that tone in me of like, are you, are you serious right now? Yeah. Like, how did you not know that? Mm-hmm. So I can totally understand being so frustrated that you're just like, oh, I want to curse you out because you're so, this is the dumbest question I have to answer. Mm-hmm. But I have to be patient with you because the only way we grow is having that kind of patience in that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's like, all communication sort of is the same. And this is just another version of that, of like, you know, being honest, but being open, you know, being respectful, having empathy, like, like what you, you know, Gina, what you're, what you said in the beginning is beautiful. It's like you acknowledge what they might know, but you also acknowledge what they might not know. And Mm -hmm. that's empathy. It's like you putting yourself in their shoes and going like, okay, in this person's reality, if we want, if we want people to understand where we're coming from, we also need to go, okay, well, what if I put myself in the shoes of a white dude who has not really had to face a lot? So like, would I understand why they might think this way or not think this way? Like, I think it might help all of us, you know, like bridge the gap, I guess, maybe. Um, Well, this was a really, really funny conversation. <laughs> I hope you guys found the points of laughter that we intended to be points of laughter. Um, there was no laugh track, guys. This was all real. They were all real laughs. Um, Gina, we're so happy to have had you on the show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it so much. You are not completely done. Um, we do something called six questions with every one of our guests. It's like a rapid fire. Don't think about it. Okay. It's however you perceive. It's, you know, what we call, it's like our our version of like Oprah's questions at the end, but they're funnier and cooler. Okay. You know, about dating. Um, all right. So Gina, here are your six questions. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Am I answering them right now? Yeah, or no, right them? now. That's it. That's the, what's the first one? The first thing I notice, I have to be honest with you, um, is shoulders. Physically, it's shoulders. There's something about, uh, specifically with men, with women, it's something different. Like whenever I've looked at a woman, it's always been her demeanor more than anything ah. else. I love a confident woman. I think they're beautiful. But with men, it's always been there's something about shoulders on a man that I love. Because I say it's and like confidence. Yeah. 
But if you just have, it's the way you carry yourself. You don't have to be super big. I've dated a lot of guys that were medium build and I've dated some stockier guys. But there's something about the way a man carries himself. I noticed it with my husband the first time I saw him. He had this like, just this posture about him. And I was like, oh. Yeah. All right. He's got, he, he, he can take care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, personality wise, the, the next thing is definitely if you have a good sense of humor, because you got to, if you're going to roll with me, you got to. Truth, like, truth. Well, what, what is one deal breaker? Um, stupidity. <laughs> uh, essentially stupidity. Like I can't, I mean, and I've, I've met some beautiful men that I'm just, are like, I can't, if I can't hold a conversation with you, like, and I'm, I'm not saying that beautiful men are stupid before all beautiful men rally against me. <laughs> I've met some amazing people that are just, I'm so attracted to. And then I try to have a conversation with you and it's like talking to a rock. Mm. Definitely it's like, been there. nothing to say. We have nothing to connect on. And this attraction is not enough it's Just for me. not enough. Yep. We need to be able to talk to you. Yeah. What turns you on? so crazy because people would not think this about me. I love an aggressive guy. Oh, what do we mean by that? I love a guy that will come up to me and be like, you're beautiful. Mm. I love a man who will... I mean, you're in New York. You must hear hear that all the time. Oh, yeah, guys. And it really is sexy to me when a man... Not when they say corny stuff. Like, if you're like, you need to smile more, I will literally just give you daggers. But like a guy that like walks up to me with all the confidence in the world and, but is still respectful. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like he crosses a line. It's like, he's aggressive, but respectful. Where he'll come up to me and just let me know what he wants Mm -hmm. in a respectful way where it's like, Hey, can I get, I want to take you out. Like guys would say, I want to take you out. Love that. I'm like, we'll zoom you. (laughs) (laughs) So, well then I guess we should set this up. (laughs) Love I'm it. Three hundred and sixty-five days thing. So, <laughs> so Gina, what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? One, wow, one of my strengths. I'm very loving. I got that from my parents. My parents like they're very affectionate with each other. They're very like they, you know, my mom and dad never lacked affection for each other or for their kids. So I'm a very affectionate, loving person. I, I want to be held. Mm-hmm. I want to be affectionate with you. You know, I described myself to my husband. I said, you got to look at me like I'm like a big Labrador that just wants to jump in your lap and just be affectionate with you. But in that same respect, <laughs> the difficult thing, the flaw is I am wildly independent. Mm-hmm. And I will often do my own thing and forget to inform my partner that I'm going to be out all day or that I have a gig next week in Toronto or that I'm leaving or something Uh, because I'm so used to being self-sufficient and doing things on my own. I will forget to include my partner and things like that. And I think my, my husband has said that a few times. He's like, you don't tell me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to work on that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what is love? Oh, what is love? Such a beautiful question. Um, to me, love is acceptance. Acceptance of a person. A full acceptance of the good and the bad. Like you don't just accept the good. 
and then hope to somehow transform the bad into something that you can tolerate. You accept both and you work with both. Mm. Like my husband is amazing and flawed. And so am I. Like we, we have a really nice balanced relationship, but we talk things out a lot more than in any other relationship I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. And that's because of how we are now in our self-awareness and in the work that we've done personally on ourselves. So to me, the biggest thing about love is just acceptance, acceptance of your partner, mm-hmm. full acceptance. I love that. And your last question, Gina, besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? Wow. Besides I love you, I bought pizza. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. I got tacos. That's my favorite. Uh, I think the first time I cried around my husband was because he said, I will protect you. Mm. And I knew he meant it. Yeah. And it made me cry because I could tell that he meant it. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's a new one. We'll we'll shorten it to I'll protect you. (laughs) Yes. I'll protect you. You can throw it into that. So it's the three ranks. Love it. Love it. Well, Gina, thank you so, so much for being on the show again. Um, how can everybody find you on social media, your specials, all your stuff? Um, you guys can find me uh, mostly on Instagram at Gbrion. Uh, you can debate my race on TikTok <laughs> at Gbrion80. If you're interested in following me on the TikTok, which is where I get to play and have fun and be a little more silly uh, than on my IG. Um, but IG and TikTok, I'm on the most. The website is ginabrionecomedy.com or .net. Because uh, ballin', you know, I do what I do. Get both those uh, URLs. I have an HBO special out that you can check out called Easily Offended, which is uh, streaming on HBO's platforms. And the new special that we talked about earlier, The Floor is Lava, is out on Amazon Prime. It is not the Netflix show. It is on Amazon Prime and you can check it out. It's called The Floor is Lava. It's my latest baby and I'm so proud of it and I love it. And yeah, just hit me up. Find me on online, guys. Yeah, she's uh, amazing, guys. Her fucking comedy is brilliant. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Yay. Um, Friends, thank you for joining us today. Um, Remember, we are also on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. I am at Aisha Says Dance across the board. And I am at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha Chandel official on Facebook. As always, thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you could please, please, please take a few seconds and leave us a five-star rating or review, we would be so grateful. Um, Also remember to send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally. I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kind of Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Our producer is Adam Pineless, and our intern is Karina Uribe. The opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.